Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back again. Episode 30, Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Feels like a special occasion, episode 30 of Triple Threat Theater. Wow. Look at that. I, I just try and find meaning in yeah. any any random episode. <laughs> just like your boy Topsy Secrets. Top Secrets. <laughs> Top Secrets. Manny Secrets. Uh, Manny Secrets, yeah. <laughs> Nosey. Dax. I'm going to come right out and say it. Yep. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thank you. I've wanted to do that for years now, but I've never. I mean, there's there's always the draw of like you know monster movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I came up with that idea like four or five years ago, and I've always said like I'm gonna do 31 Jallo movies in October, mm. and then I never do. But mm-hmm. thank you for remembering that. Pleasure. I mean, if this could be the mini Halloween, this is what we'll have to do, I guess. It's the start of a beautiful thing because mm. uh, I actually own a bunch more of these. Like I owned a couple of the movies we're going to talk about uh-huh. on Blu-ray uh, that I and I hadn't seen them yet. So this nice. gave me an opportunity to knock a couple of things off of my watch list on my shelf. Perfect. Um, for our friends at home, Millsy, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you explain what exactly this is all about <laughs> okay. because I I physically can't because I'm not entirely sure I get it. Well, I remember the end of last episode when oh. we announced the episode title, <laughs> Yellow is the New Black. We wrapped up the show, and then immediately upon us saying our names and like me saying my ending line, you were like, what is this again? Yes. <laughs> and I had to explain it to you. I still remember looking. All things. The name of this episode, Yellow is the New Black, mm-hmm. and then the three movies. I, I literally stopped. And I went, wait, what? are these i mean i didn't understand what was going on and i was like it's number 23 for us that we came up with i was like so it's really old i was like what is this this is me wanting an excuse to finally crack into this subgenre which Mm. i've only seen i've only seen one or two actual jallo films before there's a lot of movies that are in the same ballpark or inspired by this genre for example um a couple of Brian De Palma films, like Dress to Kill, he's obviously influenced by this genre, as well as being influenced by Alfred Hitchcock, which was an influence for this genre and some of the directors as well. But before I dig myself too deep a hole here, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta come um, back, come back to for air real quick. <laughs> I uh, I anticipated you asking me for an explanation, and I could have given you the basic explanation just off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I took the uh, opportunity to paraphrase from wikipedia oh the true history and explanation between behind jallo yes please which the reason this episode is called yellow is the new black is because jallo is the italian word for yellow okay step one so here you go this is my 
brief paraphrased version of what Jallo is. Jallo is an Italian term designating mystery fiction. It is Italian for yellow because of a series of cheap but popular paperback mystery novels with yellow covers that were popular in post-fascist Italy entitled Il Giallo Mondadori, meaning Mondadori Yellow because they were published by a company called Mondadori starting in 1929. Mm. They became so popular that other book publishers started doing their own mystery novels and putting the, the color yellow all over the, the covers just to like entice people to read them. Okay. And it became such a phenomenon that the word yellow in Italian in like common speech and media has taken on a second meaning in addition to just the color yellow as meaning mystery or unsolved affair. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? It's really interesting. Just something that like we have no context for here because these books weren't published in the U.S. Right. So furthermore, what it means to movies is uh, in the context of 20th century literature and film, especially in English, Giallo refers specifically to a particular Italian thriller horror genre that has mystery or detective elements and often contains slasher, crime fiction, psychological thriller, psychological horror, sexploitation, and less frequently supernatural horror elements. This particular style of Italian-produced murder mystery thriller horror film usually blends the atmosphere and suspense of thriller fiction with elements of horror fiction such as slasher violence and eroticism, and often involves a mysterious killer whose identity is not revealed until the final act of the film. Mm. The genre developed in the mid to late 1960s, peaked in popularity during the 1970s, and subsequently declined over the next few decades. And it has been considered to be a predecessor to and significant influence on the later American slasher film genre. Of that one bit, do you concur? That it's an influence to slashers? Sure. A hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent. I mean, just the idea of the mysterious killer who you oftentimes don't find out the identity until the third act. A lot of these films included first person perspective to hide the the killer's identity, mm-hmm. which is something you see a lot in uh, slasher movies in America in the 1980s. Yeah, big time. And just, uh, you know, it's like the stereotype in slasher films that it's typically uh, young people, but primarily young women being brutalized. And 100% in Jallo films, it's typically uh, women who are the victims for the right. most part. So uh, well, that's a great description. To conclude my thesis, mm. the first true Jallo film is usually considered to be Mario Bava's The Girl Who Knew Too Much from 1963, borrowing its title from Alfred Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much. The following year, Bava released Blood and Black Lace, which is one of the films we're going to be talking about, mm-hmm. which introduced a number of elements which became staples of the genre, such as provocative sexuality, bold use of color, and a masked stalker with a shiny weapon held in a black-gloved hand who brutally <laughs> murders a series of glamorous women. And that is something you don't see in every Jallo, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight up, two of the three movies we're going to be talking yeah. about have that oh, specific thing. Hands down. So there's your history of Jallo. So the quick thing with Jallo with me is, you know, running in the crew that we run with, I mean, Jallo, I've you know heard plenty of times, and I knew it was like an Italian, 
I think I just thought Italian slasher movies is what I kind of always associated it with. Which is a fair, yeah. like, basic, you know, description of it. And then even, like, leading up to this episode and watching these, and I was trying to think, I was like, Jallo, I was like, okay, well, obviously I remember now Jallo is Yellow, because it's the name of the episode, and I was like, why did Millsy tell me about Yellow? I was like, is it is it Yellow Gloves? Is that what the thing <laughs> is? So I'm sitting there watching the... F- the movies and i'm like all right there's the gloves but i was like one of these got the guy with the yellow gloves or what's the story here <laughs> i've completely forgot the part about the the yellow books so yeah it's just completely random that that series of books had like yellow borders on all the covers mm-hmm. and that has become the term for the subgenre that they inspired because mm-hmm. even by the time i got to the last movie which um the last one I watched was Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Mm-hmm. Which, Great title. Yeah, which came out in 1970. And I already know, know that Blood and Black Lace was 64, so I'm still waiting for the yellow gloves. And I was like, this would be weird if this movie came out like six years after to be the first one with yellow gloves. So I was still <laughs> holding on to this yellow glove thing for a while. Well, so the three movies we're doing are Blood and Black Lace from 1964, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970, and Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion from also 1970. And um, while, like I said, Blood and Black Lace, not the first, but considered to be like one of the big jumping off points for the genre, Mm -hmm. The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which we're going to be talking about, that did come out six years later is the first film ever solo directed by Dario Argento. Mm. And whereas Blood and Black Lace had a really bad box office return and was not super popular, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage was a huge hit. And that is really the jumping off point for like all the copycat movies that came out in the early 70s. So it is almost what you said, just without the yellow gloves. (laughs) Uh yeah, so it did take like a little while to catch fire. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So by all means, we should just dive right in. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Uh, in that case, we will begin with Blood and Black Lace from film is directed by Mario Bava. Are you familiar with that name? Uh, I don't believe so. Unless you're about to tell me, uh, well, of course, Mario Bava directed. Uh, some things you might have heard of. I'm, I'm not necessarily expecting you to have seen any of these, but uh, some of the most recognizable names among his filmography are Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, uh, Planet of the Vampires, which uh. that is an interesting one. Because that movie, people claim that Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chassette, uh stole the 
the uh, plot of Alien from that movie. Uh, okay, yep. And I've seen it, and it does have a couple of shocking similarities in the setup, and mm-hmm. I would not doubt that they took inspiration from it. Danger Diabolic, Five oh, Dolls yeah. for an August Moon, uh, A Bay of Blood, a.k.a. Twitch of the Death Nerve, mm-hmm. and Rabid Dogs, which I only add because that was the first Mario Bava movie I ever saw, even though it was one of his last and it's not really a horror movie. Mm, gotcha. But yeah, okay. I feel like Black Sunday and Black Sabbath, those are like classics of Italian horror. Mm-hmm. Danger Diabolic is kind of a recognizable one. It's in that kind of super spy James Bond kind of realm, but almost with a like 60s Adam West Batman flavor to it. And uh, 100% feels like a partial inspiration for Austin Powers. Interesting. And uh, A Bay of Blood is later in his career and is kind of a straight up slasher movie more than a Jallo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen it, wasn't a big fan. Jesse and I reviewed it for Sidetracked a couple years ago in uh, Shocktober. But um, that movie has like very direct influences on American slasher films. And that one came out in, I think, like 1980. So it was like right as American slashers were about to take off. Okay. All right. So influential guy. Prolific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so Blood and Black Lace... I feel like this one is popular because I've heard this title many times. Yeah, so like I was saying, um, this had a budget of approximately $150,000 American at the time. And in Italy, only grossed 77000 so only about half of its budget. Mm, okay. And was a box office flop. And because of that was very difficult to see for many decades until there was a home video release in 1999, finally. Oh, no way. Yeah, and it was critically not very popular back when it came out, but it's like the movie came out, inspired a bunch of other people visually, went away for a long time while Bava made like other more popular movies. Mm -hmm. And then when it finally had its resurgence, it's like all of a sudden everyone was like, this is great. What were we thinking before? Mm-hmm. And it's now become pretty popular within the genre. Um, Milzy, tell me out. Does this does this movie have something to do with a character from the Runaways, the Marvel comic? The title, the the dinosaur. Yeah, is uh. The oh. dinosaur's name is uh, Old Lace, and there is oh. a, a book right, or a play called uh, <laughs> Something okay. in Old Lace. All right, all right, never mind. I was like, as I'm thinking, I'm like. This would be weird for a little girl, you know, a teenage girl to name her dinosaur after this movie, but <laughs> it is a pop culture reference, but this is not the the pop culture it is referencing. <laughs> okay. All right, carrying on. They do ha- arsenic and old lace, I think is what it's called. It's like a play or a, yes, a yes, classic okay. novel or something like that. <laughs> okay. I can tell you whatever you want to know about Jallo, but when it comes to actual like classic literary fiction, mm. I'm useless. Hey, you got your lane. I say you stay in it. <laughs> I'm not planning to diverge. Yeah, good. But uh, this movie, so American International Pictures back in the day had a deal with whatever studio produced this to release their movies in America. And it's crazy because to look at this movie now, it's it's pretty tame by today's standards in like a, a world where we have movies like Saw and Touristas and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, 
So shocking was the violence in this movie that despite the fact that American International Pictures had had great success releasing Black Sunday and Black Sabbath by Mario Bava in the U.S., they refused to release this film in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, some tiny studio I've never heard of before called the Woolner Brothers, not Warner Brothers, the Woolner Brothers (laughs) released it in America to little to no fanfare Uh (laughs) back in the 60s. But okay. So basically the gist of this movie is you got the shadowy secret killer um, basically like going after all the models in this uh, fashion house, right? In Italy. Mm-hmm. You know, as my my first foray into Jalo, I enjoyed myself watching this one. I will say, did you like me find the plot pretty confusing? Yes, it was like uh, even like you said, like with the violence, how it's like it, a lot of things happen like kind of fast and brutal. That and happens. a lot of stuff off screen. Yeah. Yes. That too, and just. Kind of in general, the thing is like bouncing around a lot, and I was kind of, kind of found myself like struggling a little with like keeping track of who was who at different times. Oh well, there was... are like twelve key characters in this, yeah. and you're introduced to all of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's like here's these five dudes that are all like right. related in some way to these like seven women who are all part of this yeah. like fashion boutique or whatever. And it's just like, okay, I remember what they look like, but I couldn't right. tell you their names. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't I don't know a single name, I think, from any of these movies tonight, from what I can remember. Just because it was like, there's so many characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, some of the, a few of the ladies, like, kind of looked similar enough where I was, I just, I was getting a little lost in the shuffle, but I was enjoying it. One thing I do want to talk about is the the killer, which... You did text me beforehand. Oh, and be- right. And I believe you said, uh, like, le- to let you know who, like, the masked killer reminds me of. Yes, yeah, when wearing the mask. Because well, you couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, I, I know who I think it looks like, <laughs> but the second I saw the, the person in the mask uh-huh. and the outfit, I was like... This has to be an inspiration for this other character I'm thinking right. of. Well, I think I think like the easy, quick answer is the question. Yeah, a hundred percent. The question from DC Comics, yeah. because it's like the black fedora kind of mm-hmm. hat and the black coat and the black gloves. Right. But then that mask that the killer wears, it's almost like a stocking. It's like that kind of tight adherence to the face, but it's flesh toned and you can't see through it. Right. And the question is just like black hat, black gloves, black coat, and just a blank skin mm-hmm. tone face, which that is all I could think of yeah. every time this oh, person totally. was murdering women in this movie. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, I didn't look it up. I was like, oh, which came first? And I was like, no, the question's pretty. The question's like the 30s or something, I think. So Very, very possible. Like but, I don't know if it's actually now, inspired, but goddamn, yeah. it, that's just who it looks like. It was great to see. Uh, this. You might get this. When I say it, but I probably, maybe I'm the only person to ever think this. At times, maybe because you had mentioned it too, I was like, I was like, clearly the easy answer to this is question. I was like, with some weird angles, it reminded me of Hollow Man. Hmm. Because like the way like the shadows would catch some of the features and Hollow Man had like that skin colored kind of. 
Yeah, the, uh, the thing to you make put him on? look like a person, kind <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, so there was a couple times I was like, oh, it's definitely a question, but I was like, every once in a while, like, the light would catch him just right, and you'd get, like, the the shape of the eye and the mouth, and I was like, shit, that looks like freaking Hollow Man, too. Yeah, that didn't occur to me, but uh, you're you're not wrong. Yeah, so. But overall, I liked the look. I mean, I think it was a... I was kind of... Exp- I don't remember, like, even going in, I wasn't sure... If it was going to be all like first person views of the killer or I was going to actually see a person or not. So I was kind of like yeah. jazzed that it was like creeping a mask even. Yeah, you know? I feel like that is kind of a, a trope of the genre, but it just so happens that the ones that we watched for this show didn't have a ton of that first person stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like there were a couple of shots here and there, but it wasn't like every time the killer kills its first person. Right. Yeah, so this one, this I, I just happened to watch this one first as well. And, uh, you know, it was very much what I kind of expected from a Jallo. Mm-hmm. Again, having not seen much of them in the past myself, uh, it's like when I think of Jallo, it's just this person with, like, the dark gloves and stabbing instruments killing off women one by one. And... There's very little else in the plot in this one until the end when all the revelations happen in kind of a Scooby-Doo manner. (laughs) Mm. And so, like, I wasn't overly thrilled by the plot of this one. Mm -hmm. And it was just, but I got to tell you, the thing about this one that fucking kept my eyes peeled the entire time was the visuals. Yes. This movie is fucking gorgeous. And that thing in my little pre-ramble about... The color. uh, Yeah, bold use of color Mm -hmm. being one of the touchstones of Jallo. I mean, I think this is a Mario Bava thing specifically because like Danger Diabolic has like a very striking, colorful look to it as well. But Mm -hmm. right from the opening titles of this movie where it's just like... It's just like every single character in the movie is standing like perfectly still and the camera just like pans over to them as though they're mannequins and they're all like drenched in like pinkish purple light yeah. on one side of their body. Totally. And they have that font, that like blocky imperfect font for everyone's names that I associate with spaghetti Westerns. Cause that's where I've most seen it, mm-hmm. but it's just like an Italian style from like yeah. the sixties and seventies, I guess that lettering and like the cool fucking jazzy music. Mm hmm. God, this movie just looks and feels Sounds amazing. And it it really does. Like it's it's heavy. It uses there's a lot of scenes where it's like heavy blacks, heavy shadows. Yeah. And like the extreme color, like I think I even said this last episode when we were talking about the 7th seal how it's like I kind of just I could see myself just like wanting to stop different scenes and draw it cuz like the compositions were so good. Mm-hmm. And I thought the same thing with this one, like multiple times. I even took some like pictures of sh- shots just because I was like, this would just be like fun to draw because it just looks so good. Yeah, this is a fantastic looking movie. The colors are so rich. And you're right. There will be a scene like I'm specifically thinking of the scene where uh, she was like the fourth girl who gets murdered by um, smothering. And the killer kills her like next to a set of stairs. And the room is like half of the room is like covered in 
dense, dark shadows. Mm -hmm. But then popping out from those shadows will be like the brightest green chair you've ever seen in your life. And like there's like a unnatural pinkish purple, like just splash of light across the floor from God knows what. And it's just like brilliant, bright colors and completely dark blacks, which feels like something that doesn't occur in reality. It feels like something that has to be manufactured Mm -hmm. and it feels like something oddly enough. I don't know if I just feel this way because I'm into comic books, but it feels like something you see in comic book art by like Eduardo Riso or something without a doubt, because he's doing the art like black and white because he works in black and white and he's not a colorist, but then a colorist gets a hold of it and can either like make it subtle with like dim colors or they can throw down just like bright ass pinks and purples and greens and reds. Yep. And it's like one person was achieving one goal and another person adds to it and it's this whole new thing. Mm-hmm. And that a hundred percent is what I got watching several scenes of this movie. Like, uh, it'll be like dark and there's someone sneaking around because they thought they heard a noise and there's a thunderstorm outside. And then mm-hmm. like the light hits a like bright red mannequin. Don't ask me why yes. the mannequin is yes. all red, but it's just yep. like, God, that looks incredible. Oh, it really does. And like while I was watching, it, I'm thinking like, you know, this movie's from 64. Like I'm not like well-versed enough in old movies, especially to know like what the like sign of the times with how like, you know, DPs and stuff did the the lighting and everything, but because just watching this, I was like, this just feels like nothing I've seen in so long. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't even feel like a movie in that kind of weird. Because the especially like the blacks, I think the colors were great too, but I just noticed so much like use of like heavy heavy shadow. Heavy shadow. It just looked so yeah. cool. It just it doesn't look real at all a lot of the time. It mm-hmm. just looks so impressionistic. Yeah. But God, is it amazing looking. And I th- I thought it was effective with, like, the killer. Because I thought, like, the killer, like, again, like, growing up with, like, American slasher movies, you know, going into this, um, I wasn't sure what to expect. But there's so many scenes of just, like, the mass killer just, like, runs up and murders, like, quickly <laughs> and efficiently, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, that's, like, not a thing I'm used to either. So between the looks and that, like, it added to the... It's like a tense feeling I kind of had during all, some of these scenes. And again, like, it's just, I, I'll never be able to fully understand the kind of, you know, overall feeling at the time when mm-hmm. American International Pictures wouldn't release this because it was too violent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I can't think of an instance where you actually see the kill or the injury happening, aside from, like, the smothering. But... Like, even the scene where the girl gets her face pressed up against that, like, red hot stove thing, it's like, it's a real close-up shot, and you're seeing her hair is in the way of everything, and you hear the sound and hear her scream, so you're not actually seeing anything, but Mm -hmm. it's almost that thing... Like uh, that they that Ridley Scott tried to achieve with Alien, where, like, the less you show the creature, then, like, the more the audience's mind can run wild. Yep. You know, and totally. it's almost like, was that scene in this movie of her face being burned more effective than like, I think it's in Hostel where you see a girl get her or you see someone get their eye burned out with a blowtorch. And it's like, it might be more effective to not see it. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, yeah, because I don't I, like the more modern, like 
torture porn kind of stuff I'm not really into anyways. Mm-hmm. And it could be for like that reason, especially when you see things like this. I kind of have to agree, man. I think like the less you show, the better. Even like the shot where they, the girl dies in the tub. That might be my favorite shot in yeah, the whole movie. Because that's so much better. Than the way they did it with her floating and the blood coming in the frame. And again, the bright, just, mm-hmm. it's like impossibly bright red blood. Right. And just like swirling in the water and filling up the frame. It like, it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. I cannot say enough how incredible this movie looks. Yeah. Like I say, the, the plot was so-so. It's kind of by the numbers and convoluted. And at the end, I pretty much got it, but I still had to read like a detailed plot synopsis to fully understand everyone's reasoning. Yeah. Some but of the... Once... Well, yeah. You go ahead. Cause it's just, just to say visually, though, the movie was captivating enough that even mm-hmm. if I wasn't fully invested in the story... I might not have been thinking like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. But I would think like, oh, I can't wait to see what is going to be in the next frame of the movie. Mm -hmm. There is bits of it that's like a convoluted, but especially towards the end, I just start, I start enjoying it more and more Um, when the big reveals come to about like who's involved and yeah, how many people are involved. I actually liked that quite a bit. Yeah, I I had no guess as to who it was going to be when the police uh, arrested all five of the guys and did like mm-hmm. the police lineup thing. Mm-hmm. Because again, there's so many characters you've spent so little time with any of them at that point that I I didn't really have a guess. Right. But then when it turned out seemingly it was none of them because another murder happens while they're all in prison, mm-hmm. that was when I was really like, oh shit, well who yeah. is it? It must be... Right. One of the girl like girls now, but yeah. they hit us with the the scream, Milzy. Yeah, two, two killers. killers. Mm-hmm. So, which surprised me. And yeah. you know, the very end when one killer tries to get one over on the other yeah. one, it's like yeah. it's it's pretty corny. Like that, his plan would go that perfectly. True, but I like him doing a a double cross mm-hmm. only for him to get caught in the end. But yeah, the way. The way he set her up to die. Super specific and just yeah. what luck that it worked <laughs> right, right. out that way. Right. But that being said, even then I was at that point I'm still as like into it just because I was enjoying the end of it so much. So. Yeah. That was the part where the movie started to make the most sense because you yeah. were getting all the reveals. And I will say I was more interested in that part. But uh right. yeah, just visually, man, this movie is mm-hmm. a peach. I mean, yeah. For sure. This one, like, a lot of it's the look, the look and feel for sure. Yeah, I feel like just from pure shock and awe of how incredible something looks in recent memory, the only thing that kind of matches this for me would be Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Just because of the color correction they did with that and how, like, bright orange everything is all the time and those incredible looking explosions and... Mm -hmm. Um, then like those nighttime scenes where everything is kind of blue with the bright orange fire and stuff like that. Like that's the last time I can really think of a movie in recent memory that visually had as much like stark color to darkness contrast as this. Yeah. It, it's easy to do like a nighttime city scene with all the city lights and have it look really cool, but like mm-hmm. manufacturing 
like incredible color and darkness contrast like this movie or Mad Max does. I feel like you don't see often. Mm. No, I agree completely. Like you don't even call it art house, but it's just a, uh, I don't know best way to describe it. Just being like more artistic than normal, I guess. Just yeah. With the... I mean, there's definitely an artistry to it. Like this is something yeah. you have to do on purpose. Yeah, for sure. And I think potentially a lot of filmmakers don't do it because you lose reality then. Right. But something like this, well, even more so with Mad Max, that's like a crazy heightened sense of reality anyway. So why not just go full tilt with the visuals? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a fucking giant truck with a guy playing guitar and shooting fire out of it. Right. And in this, I don't know, it's just, it is kind of a complicated mystery story like meat and potatoes almost so yeah why not just add something to it with some visual flair yeah no without a doubt so good call on their part so yeah like uh, a little bit of a mixed bag on this one because i again i didn't love the the plot and the story as much and i don't feel like i got to know the characters as well because there's so many of them Mm -hmm. uh there's not stopping and thinking about it like who would you even say the main character is? Especially up until the end when you find out who the killers are. Like, every time you start to follow one of the girls that's a member of the fashion group, mm-hmm. they die. <laughs> I'd say probably... I, I think go throughout the thing, I thought, like, the one that ended up being the lady killer. Yeah? I think... She felt like such a background character to me up until it turns out she is one of the killers, though. I don't know if maybe it was just a screen time thing. I think she was kind of like always around. Well, yeah, she I mean, she survived until the end. Unlike yeah. Most of them. I See, mean, like mid movie, I thought it was Peggy, the third girl who died, who ended up with the diary and burned it because mm-hmm. it felt like we were spending a little more time with her and. She was the first one who I really glommed on to why she was important to the story because there was stuff in the diary she didn't want people to find out about. Mm -hmm. And then the killer came after her because of the diary. Whereas the first two girls that died, you had no context for why because you don't find out until the very end why they were being killed. Yeah. So and the fact that he didn't kill her straight away and like captured her and took her back to his lair and then like was torturing her like i thought peggy but then by the i don't know two-thirds point at least she's dead mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah no it's a good point and i don't think you can say any of the men were main characters no, even no. even the detective who's trying to solve it feels like he's missing from the entire third act <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah this one's packed to the gills with the characters that's for damn sure Mm-hmm. But yeah, for all the characters and everything that's going on, it's only all these are only about ninety minutes, mm-hmm. ninety mm-hmm. to a hundred minutes, which I like is the sweet spot for sure. Yeah, I, they don't overstay their welcome. Mm-hmm. So I'm down with that. Yeah, man. All right, uh, shall we move on? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I don't know which one of these came out first, but uh, let's just go. They both came out in 1970. Let's go with. The bird with the crystal plumage. Yes.
directed again by Dario Argento, who you may know for such films as Cat of Nine Tales, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Deep Red, Suspiria is probably the one everybody knows, Tenebrae, Phenomena, Demons, The Church, Two Evil Eyes, which I think he co-directed with George Romero, Hmm. and Trauma. And again, that is just some of his extensive filmography. Yeah, this this is I believe this is the first and only one of his I've seen. Uh I've seen one or two others. I really want to see Suspiria. Um I've seen I've seen The Church, which wasn't incredible, yeah. but I've seen Demons, which I also didn't love, but I'd say Suspiria's got to be his most popular one. I mean, I I knew that was his. Most well known at least. I mean, it just got a remake, pretty high profile remake like last year. Mm. as well that's right that's right so this one had a budget of approximately five hundred thousand american and a box office of about a million american at the time Mm -hmm. so doubled its budget the interesting backstory or like behind the scenes thing i heard about or i read about this one dario gento big name in in horror films this was his first solo directing credit and uh, i guess his father salvatore uh, Argento was in the film industry in some way as well. Okay. And so an, an executive producer was disappointed by Dario's dailies for this movie while they were filming it. And so he wanted to get Dario fired. And Dario's dad, Salvatore, went to the office of the executive producer to try and convince him to let him let his son continue directing. And uh, allegedly, this almost sounds like too perfect to be true, but allegedly, when he went to the executive's office, the executive secretary was like visibly shaken. And when Salvatore asked why, she explained that she had watched the dailies with everybody else and was like horrified by them. So Salvatore was like, hey, go in there and tell your boss how the movie made you feel. And then after she explained her reaction, the executive producer let Dario continue directing the movie, hmm. which, again, sounds like a too good to be true kind of Hollywood story. But I thought it was interesting either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, a uh, few less characters. Certainly. There's a definite main character in this one. Oh, uh, yeah. Guy named Sam. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the standout thing about this movie to me in... Uh, in hindsight, is what a weird choice for a title for this one. Yes. It only makes sense in the last, like, seven minutes or whatever. Yeah, the whole movie, I'm like, okay, the bird with the crystal plumage. Why is this called that? And there is a bird with crystal-like plumage in the movie, Mm -hmm. but it is such a minor part of the film, I don't know why they chose to call it that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's literally a plot point that comes up for five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But anyway... This one, right off the bat, did give me Alfred Hitchcock vibes mm-hmm. because I thought that the like impetus for the entire story taking place was such a cool sequence where basically uh, the main character is an American writer and he's uh, living in Italy for a time and he's about to fly back to America in like two days. And he's just walking down the street one night and he passes an art gallery that has like these huge glass windows in the front and it's like all lit up inside. And so he sees two people struggling in the distance, like on the balcony inside this art gallery and he runs up and it's hard to describe without being able to see it. 
but he gets like caught between these two sets of glass doors that are locked. Yep. And so he can't get in to help the woman who's been stabbed and like needs help and he can't get out to go get help. So he's like trapped there as this woman's like dying in front of him. And the whole like slightly complicated setup of that felt very Hitchcockian to me. It just made for like such a cool, uniquely suspenseful sequence, I thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. I liked, I mean, kind of the could happen to anyone vibe of it for sure. I really like to. Mm-hmm. You know, just walking down. Let's say uh, it's like a line I've heard before, like, um, like of storytelling where um, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's like a noir thing or something, but people will say like, you know, like any, any person's like one bad car ride away from their life changing, sure. you know? So it's like the same kind of idea that I really like. That's like, you know, it's kind of shot out of a cannon. He's walking down the street, sees this craziness, and then it just like barrels out of control from there. Yeah. And I think it also gave me a little bit of a Hitchcock vibe because it's not exactly a a wrong man or a North by Northwest scenario where it's like a case of mistaken identity. But it is like this random citizen decides to stop and try and help somebody in need. And then because of that, like just randomly, it's not like there was some secret plot to get this guy all along. He just happened into a situation like you're talking about. Right. And then he's he's stuck in the situation because when the police interview him, they like take his passport away so that he can't leave the country because they want him around so they can talk to him. And then he's like, he's, he's obsessed now with the case and he's stuck in this other country and he's trying to solve this mystery that he has like no right being involved in. And yeah, so this one definitely had a Hitchcock feel to me, which I dug. Yeah. And it does have that same element of a killer who wears all black and black gloves and, Mm -hmm. like, stabs people. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's not as uh, prevalent as it is in Blood and Black Lace, but it's definitely in there. Oh, it's there. So it almost feels like the best of both worlds from, like, a Hitchcock thriller and a Jello film or something to me. Yeah, this was the second one I watched. Like I said, I was still on the lookout for yellow gloves, but I was like, well, there's the gloves. <laughs> I love I that like, you got hung up on that, and it wasn't even, <laughs> it wasn't even the, the actual case. So, uh, so there was that. Um, I mean, it looked really good. You know, it felt so different from Blood and Black Lace, just like what we said about the look of that first one. Mm-hmm. That you know, this is certainly more conventional, but still looked great. Great cinematography and everything. Yeah, this um, looks more like like any other movie you're going mm-hmm. to watch from the 70s, kind right, of. It doesn't right. have like all the crazy colors. Right. Man, uh-huh. it just occurred to me, this is something I really wanted to mention, but I forgot to until just now, taking a step back to Blood and Black Lace really quickly. Mm-hmm. W- one of my other favorite shots in the movie is towards the beginning, after the first girl, Isabella, dies, uh, they find her pocketbook and there's a diary in it. And uh, they decide they're going to turn the diary into the police, but then the girl who's kind of in charge of the diary, she has to go out and give her little fashion performance. So she, like, sets the po- – it's like the camera is kind of, like, waist level right behind a table, mm-hmm. and she sets the pocketbook down, and it's got, like, these, like, stiff straps that create, like, a little archway that are now in the frame, and then in the distance – one of the other women who's kind of suspicious of the diary walks into frame, stops, and is perfectly framed in the distance by the the hand like the handle 
things on the on the bag mm-hmm. and then like turns to look at the bag so it's like she's framed by the oh. thing that she's looking at nice and oh god it was just a fucking amazing shot yeah i don't remember that part but oh I like, god I like when it. that happened i thought i thought to myself like this is composed like a comic book panel oh. Sounds like it for sure. Where like comic book artists get bored with drawing the same old thing, so they try and find interesting ways to like frame a shot. Uh huh. And I just thought that was such a beautiful little nice little sequence. But anyway, uh, back to the bird with the crystal plumage. Right. But like we we're saying, yeah, more, more conventional, but still looks looks great. Um, I like the cast. I like mm-hmm. Sam. Uh, Ennio Morricone does the score of this one, I believe, right? He does. He actually did the score for this and Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. I remember seeing Ennio Morricone's name in the opening credits for this one. And then throughout the movie, every now and then, like trying to key into the music and feeling like it wasn't one of his best scores. It didn't like mm. really wow me. I feel like the score for Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion was a little more Morricone, and I think I liked it a little more. But I mean, the, did, both, the, the both of them for me didn't necessarily feel like the stuff I've known of his. Not that I'm super well-versed, but... Mm-hmm. Well, this, this movie is also... I'm imagining that the majority of his music that you're familiar with would be like some of the classic yeah, Western oh, tunes. Totally. And it's going to be a little bit of a different vibe, but I definitely felt more Morricone in the next film we're going to talk about. But mm. here's a question. Hit it. Uh, along the lines of my uh, my question to you about who the killer reminded you of in the last film, mm-hmm. the lead character in this, Sam, mm-hmm. did that actor remind you of anyone specifically in the face? Um, nothing's jumping out to me now. The whole movie, it wasn't like every single shot, but from certain angles, he looked a hell of a lot like Viggo Mortensen to me. Huh. A thing that I don't expect you to hear that and immediately go, yes, no. you're right. But like, if you were to go back and look at him, I'd be curious to know if uh if you if you agreed with me at all. Let's see. But like the whole time, like he would like turn his head and I would be like, Oh, there's Vigo. <laughs> you know, I'm actually just on the IMDB looking at going through his pictures. I could see that. Yeah. It wasn't he's like he's like an a, exact dead ringer. No, but. but he's got like a it's almost like his profile. His nose, something in there. I could see that, Mills. Yeah, like I say, it wasn't all the time, but like certain angles and things, I would think, yeah, that really looks like him. But I'll uh, let you run with that one. (laughs) Other interesting thing about this cast, did you recognize anybody in the cast? (sighs) No. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) My boy. You know how excited I was when he showed up? I was like, oh, so uh, who's the crazy painter going to be? And I was like, yes. Yes. Uh, oh, what's his name from Mario Adorf is his right. name. No, but what's the character name from the one I like the best? Um, uh, I don't remember his name, but he was the lead character in the Italian Connection from yep. our Cattivi uh, uh-huh. Ragazzi episode with Joel. Oh, yeah. And he also had a smaller part in uh, Caliber 9 in that same episode. Right. I was like, yeah, how could I forget he was there? I loved it. I was so excited when he showed up. I said, yes, that's this. So here's my question. Did you recognize him? Yes, immediately. Because for me, I saw his name in the opening credits, and I recognized it from us doing that episode. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, he's in here. And then the whole movie, I'm waiting for him to show up. And like towards the end is when the painter shows up. And I was by that point thinking, did I miss him? Did he just have a small cameo? Mm-hmm. 
so I actually looked it up on IMDb and I saw the name and I was like, I don't think I recognize this oh, name. Really? Oh, really? And then awesome. like 10 minutes later, the scene happened and I was like, oh, there he is. <laughs> Fucking crazy yeah. bastard raising cats and fattening yeah. them up so he can eat Fatting them. Fatting cats so he can eat them. It's kind of giving his paintings away. Uh, kind of he, a weird sidebar. <laughs> the Italian connection, he was Luca Canali. Okay. Oh, I, I was glad I didn't see his name. I don't know if I necessarily would have picked up on it in the credits, mm-hmm. but as soon as I saw him, I was just, I, I think I might have like fist pumped myself. Just like, yes. <laughs> you know, like, it was a boy. Yeah, that uh, was fun to see him in there. That was it great. is a shame he's barely in it, but. Uh, weird scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty unnecessary if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, there is, that scene does have one piece of exposition, which is really important to the plot, but. It really feels like they could have gotten to that point without having an entire scene where the main character <laughs> right. drives across the country to meet this painter and have one weird, awkward sequence with him. Yeah, exactly. So this one, again, it, it kind of plays fast and loose with who the killer is. In the end, it really only is one killer, I believe, but it's like she's crazy and her husband is trying to help cover up the fact that she's the killer, so he's kind of an accomplice, so it's almost like two killers again in this one. Yeah. Which uh I could I'll just come out and say I wasn't crazy about the the payoff on this one. When you find out who it is? Yeah, just like well, it was that just being like, Oh, she's crazy. I was like, cause then you know, when you go back to the opening scene where he was just walking down the street, Sam, and sees what happens. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's just like so clearly is like she's being killed by the guy in the the coat. Well, and then when see, they go back to you know show you again from a different angle, it's like meh. I I would kind of honestly like to go back and rewatch the opening scene because like one of the big elements of this film is like memory and selective memory. And so, like, the police detective feels, like, in his gut, which is this is kind of the part that bugs me and, like, feels weird. He feels in his gut that uh, Sam, the main character who witnessed the attack in the beginning, like, either isn't telling him something or there's, like, something else. He just needs to think hard and he'll remember it. And it does come around in the end that the thing he, like, wasn't piecing together was that when he first saw them fighting in the building from a distance... It was the woman who had the knife in her hand, not the man. So Mm -hmm. she was attacking him. I would like to go back and rewatch the opening to see if you can discern that or if it's something that they literally hid from the audience until the end. Because that feels that gets into that realm for me of like what I've complained before about with like the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movie where like it's impossible for the audience to piece it together because they just don't give you the information you need to solve the crime. Mm hmm. Whereas something else more recent is like Knives Out. Like that's a very complicated mystery, but it feels like they give you everything you need to where you could figure it out. Yeah. Not that you're going to because it's still complicated, but. Right. But the, it it is all there. Because mm-hmm. it's just like this one, it just felt like just my initial feeling. I still like pretty much feel that way. It, just, it seemed like so convenient to to change it in the end, because like if she was trying to kill him and. You know, they're like struggling on the stairs, but then he like skips out the back door, you know, and it just it makes it look so guilty as a killer than to just 
switch it up in the end. I just did. I didn't care for that. It is convenient, yeah. uh, right down to the fact that uh, during that like next to last confrontation, when you think it's the climax happening, and they run into the room, it's the husband who has the knife mm-hmm. and struggles with them, and then his dying breath is like, you know, it wasn't her, it was me, right? Which I'm okay with because I understand it's not like completely preposterous to me to think that you know she's his wife she's been normal for the past 10 years or whatever and then she has a psychotic break because of seeing the painting that was based on the actual horrifying event she had been a part of 10 years earlier Mm -hmm. and like he knows that there's like a normal good woman in there so he's trying to help protect her like i can buy all of that is it really convenient yes but i feel like that's almost a trend between Blood and Black Lace this and as we'll find out um forbidden photos of a woman of the lady above suspicion that they all have these these like twists that mm-hmm. are next to impossible to figure out because everything has to be so perfect and convenient for them to yeah. work out yeah, you'll just never... so they can trick the audience. Yeah. You'll never figure that. I feel like in in Crystal Plumage there's Part of the end explanation, don't they even say, like, he was driven insane by her insanity or something? Something like that. Like that, I just I just didn't like that. They, they made some mention of, like, him almost killing people or something. And yeah, it's funny, like, crazy, like, I didn't get the impression watching it that he killed anybody. I thought he was just trying to help cover up for her. But then when I was... Uh, reading through the Wikipedia, gathering tidbits to talk about for this show, I think it was on Wikipedia in the plot synopsis. It mentions that he killed some people as well, which I, I don't remember getting that from the movie. And I would prefer it if he didn't. Yeah, I didn't get it from the movie. It's just that there's some like throwaway line about him. I don't remember what exactly it is, but it was something like he almost killed people or hurt people or something. Yeah. Something else that reminds me a lot of Hitchcock about some of these, specifically Bird with the Crystal Plumage and uh, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, is that, like, the plot ends and then they have to have a scene with the main character and the police detective explaining to one another what happened Mm -hmm. because it's still kind of confusing to the audience, which Mm -hmm. always reminds me of Psycho because that movie literally ends with, like, a five-minute scene of a like a criminal psychologist describing to the characters, nay, the viewer, what happened with Norman Bates and why he dressed up as his mother because it was such like a crazy concept back then when people mm-hmm. weren't into crime fiction the way they are now. <laughs> right. But, or true crime rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all told, I enjoyed the story of this one more because it had more of a story. It it yeah. wasn't just like a series of beautiful looking murders with like a sudden explanation at the end. It it was more of like a character arc to follow and mm-hmm. like threatening phone calls and trying to solve like someone yeah. actively trying to solve a mystery and you're following <laughs> right. them. Yeah. Which is like it's cool with any like, you know, Joe Average just as decides he's gonna solve this case instead mm-hmm. of the police. Like I like that kind of stuff. So it was like, funny, though, how, like, the cop wanted him to stay around because he thought he had some information. But then when the guy was doing his own amateur investigation, it's like the cop was trying to help him. He's like, is there anything I can do to help you in your investigation? But it's like he's a civilian from another country. Right. Because <laughs> I think at some, at whatever point, once uh, 
you know, they heard the killer on the tape, maybe? Is that what it was where it kind of changed for him? I mean, still doesn't make sense why, yeah, cops would never include him, but... Yeah. You know, rather just than like him most being of the a time, suspect anymore, I guess. Most of the time when you see a movie like this where it's like the civilian who becomes obsessed with a case and can't let it go, and then like inevitably the cops run into them and they tell him, like, you got to stay out of this. Like, let us do our jobs. Whereas in this one, it literally feels like the detective is saying... Right. Uh, hey, you you have just as good chances of figuring this out <laughs> right. as we do. Go ahead. Right. right. Like, uh, we don't want to get killed by this guy, so why don't you step in and help us out a little? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I loved the chase scene in the street with the dude with the yellow jacket. Uh, yeah. I think I'm a little foggy on what the deal was exactly there myself. Um, yeah, I don't fully understand. Uh, just assume that he was hired by... One of them to take Sam out? I I guess so. It never really occurred to me before. <laughs> but uh like I'll why s- that was happening, but I did I just thought that was a great entertaining sequence in the middle of the movie. <laughs> it was very good. That guy was hellish looking. He looked yeah. like an old like uh I don't know, an old piece of sandpaper or something. He was just like he just looked like a villain. Mm-hmm. Even though he's got like a the brightest yellow members only jacket you could get. In Italy at the time, I'm sure. He just well, like, what did they say? Bad. They were like uh, former prize fighters, is what that organization was. Some boxers or something. Yeah, boxers. But it's like when he, uh, when the main character like tails him to that like conference room filled with people with those jackets, I was like, are they like delivery drivers? And this is like a delivery <laughs> drivers right. union meeting. But it turns out they were all like boxers, which was yeah. a weird. Yeah, the line was boxers or something. Yeah. Yeah, but that was a good scene. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so between these two, it's it's like they're very, di- like, f- certainly fit in the same genre, but feel like very different movies, which I liked. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I would say that in a manner of speaking, all three of the movies that we're going to be talking about are very different within the same subgenre. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Actually, I would say, like, the uh, Forbidden Photos feels far more different than these two feel closer. Yeah, I would agree. Well, anything else about this one, or do you want to dive into yeah. Forbidden Photos? Let's jump right in, sir. All right, one of my favorite movie titles of all time, The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion from 
I mean, for for Triple Threat, for sure, it's our longest title. <laughs> Gotta be. Uh, perhaps the only Jallo film title which I prefer, I uh, haven't watched yet, is Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of another Jallo film that I have on my shelf and haven't uh, watched yet from Arrow I was Video. just going to ask, you own that, right? Oh, yeah. Arrow, like... It, it Arrow really specializes in these Jallo films because they put out Blood and Black Lace, they put out Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, I don't own this one, but they did put out uh, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. They did Your Vice is a Locked Room. Um, I have one or two other Argento movies, uh, The Black Cat and Deep Red from them. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of other ones, but uh, if you are into Jallo, uh, feels like Arrow Video is the company for you. Yeah, I would almost expect it of uh, Vinegar Syndrome, but yeah, I feel like Arrows. You know, these Arrows movies are almost too, a little right? like these movies are like you know, kind of sexy and erotic and dirty and like lots of blood and stuff. But I feel like they're almost like a more well-respected genre than the kind of stuff that mm. Vinegar Syndrome <laughs> tends to put out. Fair enough. Like, it feels like Vinegar Syndrome, as much as I like them, are largely picking up the table scraps of, like, what other companies aren't putting out because they can get them really cheap. Right. But yeah. uh, ex- aside from one or two noteworthy things like Dolomite or uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Tammy and the T-Rex. Well, there's one of those table scraps I was talking about. <laughs> oh. Like, I don't I don't see Arrow Video putting that out. But then again, <laughs> Arrow released Slugs, so I don't know. Oh, Anything know. is possible. But at the same time, Arrow's releasing things like RoboCop and American Werewolf in London, you know? Right, right. But The packaging for these looks pretty good. I saw the Arrow stuff for these. Looked pretty nice. Yeah, they all have, like, nice-looking new painted covers. Yeah, gotta love that. Mm-hmm. So, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, directed by Luciano Ercoli. Uh, Not a name I'm really familiar with. Mm -hmm. I did recognize a couple of titles that I've heard before. Uh, Death Walks on High Heels and Death Walks at Midnight, Mm. which are both titles that I love. Yes. More noteworthy, I would say, is the writer of this movie, Ernesto Gastaldi, has written, among other things, The Whip and the Body... All the Colors of the Dark, Torso, and a couple of Lee Van Cleef Westerns, Day of Anger and The Grand Duel, both of which I've seen. Oh. And The Grand oh, Duel. That's some solid names. Yeah. Grand Duel, awesome movie. Yeah. And has a very recognizable piece of music that is, I believe, Quentin Tarantino used in something, maybe Kill Bill, where the second you hear it, you'll recognize it. Quick sidebar, but... We don't have nearly enough Western stuff planned, do we? We've got a couple, but I mean, there's plenty of fucking Westerns out there. I'll have to table that, because I'm going to look into that more of that. Yeah, by all means. That's something I'm certainly missing in life, is more Westerns. I mean, we've got over 200 uh, potential trios to choose from. I want to say there's at least five Western categories in there, which all, all things considered... Out of 200, that's not a lot. No. But I mean, it's more than I just would have guessed when I brought that up. But I can at, think of four off the top of my head, but that's neither here nor there. We're at that point in the game with Triple Threat where I can't, can't, can't even like come up with trifectas anymore without thinking that, like, oh, We've we must have them. used this movie already, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, 
the first three episodes we ever did were all horror, so mm-hmm. it's just as likely that it'll be 50 episodes before we ever get to do a Western, but who the hell knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So differences between Forbidden Photos and the other two we watched, no mystery killer that wears all black. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a mystery as to what's going on, and there is a twist at the end as to who's actually behind everything. Right. But uh, also, this would this has the smallest cast of any of the movies we're talking about. Totally. Because this one, pretty much, you just have the lead character, who's the wife. And do you know how to pronounce her name? I heard him say it a thousand times in the movie, but I still don't. I still don't know. Uh, mean. It was like Minu, I think. It's spelled M I N O U. But I believe it was just Minu, like Minu. silent O. Okay. Her husband, Peter, a uh, character who's referred to as the blackmailer, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the commissioner, and then Dominique, the best friend. And that's just about it. Yeah, that's really it. And then this one. So unlike the other two where there's like a killer at large, uh, this one is about kind of a, a housewife whose husband is working a lot. And she feels kind of like left out of everything. And it's one of those films where like a crazy series of events starts to happen with her. And it's like every time she tries to prove to somebody what's going on, it's it's like all the evidence has disappeared. Or, you know, she takes the police to the apartment where she claims something happened to her. And the apartment looks as though no one's lived there in a year. And so it... you. The police and the main character in the movie and me, the audience member, I don't know about you, begin to question like, okay, is this all like a trick and Mm -hmm. none of this is real and she's going insane? Like, is she the killer? Like, Mm -hmm. is this like a fight club kind of thing? And this one super had me guessing the whole time. Yeah. Like every other scene, I'm like, oh, it's this character. No, it's that character. Mm -hmm. And then like at one point I thought it was Dominique, the best friend. And I was like, you bitch like i can't believe it's yeah. you and then uh, yeah i i i never knew who it was the whole time yeah late late in the game to- kind of toward maybe in the land you know by the time the f- it hits an hour something happens with dominique and i was like man fucking dominique look at that you know i was i had her pegged for sure there's a scene right before the climax where they 100% are trying to convince you that it's her mm-hmm. because they want to keep you guessing. And it worked. What scene was that? Because I think that must be what I was thinking of. Like when uh, Dominique is over the house and... Um, uh, Mi- How did you pronounce the main character's Minu. name? Minu. Minu. Yeah. Minu is like, oh, I got the photo of the guy from you. You must remember. And Dominique's like, I would remember if you took that oh. pornographic photo from me. That never happened. Right. right. And it turns out she like Dominique has begun to figure out what's going on before the audience. So she's lying so that the husband who's present doesn't know what's going on, but it feels like she's lying mm-hmm. or it, fe- it feels like she's lying to the audience, mm-hmm. but she's actually lying to a character in the movie, which was brilliant. Like this one really well written. I will say that the eventual twist is again, very like convenient and yes, specific and i don't know if i 100 percent buy it or understand but definitely points for suspense value yeah because there was a major point in the movie when the doctor comes to examine her and he's talking about how she's under stress and 
Uh, he's been away. Her husband has been away working so much that this is like her way of without even knowing it, like kind of lashing out and wanting more mm-hmm. attention because he's never around. I was convinced that it was all in her head. And yeah. then I'm thinking to myself, Oh, did the, did they fuck up? And like, cause there's that scene where the blackmailer comes to the house and talks to the butler and I kept thinking to myself, like, talk to the butler. The butler must know because he mm-hmm. actually is the one other human in the movie who spoke to the guy. Like, right, right. And they never do. <laughs> but, yeah, I was on board with the plot of this one. I was, too. And it was, you know, because the blackmailer, he shows up in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's like they don't hold that back at all about just like introducing the bad character. Yeah, you I mean, see the, the villain's name, or at least as far as you know, the villain for the majority of the movie. Mm-hmm. You see his face immediately. Yeah. So it like that was slightly different for me. So I watched this third, and as as it's going on, it's going on. I'm like, I'm still, I'm like, well, I was like, based where on are the those other yellow two, gloves. I was like, yeah, I was like, there's gonna be two killers, and where are these fucking yellow gloves? God damn it. That's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, but I was like, all right. I was like, this got to be a twist. I was like, I was kind of expecting it. I was expecting something. I was like, Dominique. Then the Dominique thing happened. I was like, mm. I was like, yeah, it just it, that felt very much like showing them showing their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll say I don't love when it comes down. It's the husband just because it feels it's so convenient. Like you said, it just it doesn't even feel like a great plan. Like yeah. I was trying to get this guy to make you go crazy so you'd kill yourself. Also, so get the- yeah, like if his whole deal is he wants her to die so he can get her insurance money. Yeah. Her life insurance. Like there's easier ways to kill someone That's, and make uh, it look like an accident than this convoluted plot to drive her insane so she kills yeah. herself. It's like a thousand ways easier. Like he doesn't even say like, oh, there's a stipulation in the life insurance that she has to kill herself. It's not even that. It's just like. Just have the guy throw her off a bridge or something. I mean, why does he have to? Yeah. Why does he have to seduce her for and weeks? Maybe I just missed it, but I don't remember any mention of life insurance until after the climax of the no. movie, and they give that explanation, which yeah. feels kind of cheap. That was the first time it came up for sure. Yeah. But man, that that last scene super suspenseful because again, I was not convinced that there like it wasn't all in her head, mm-hmm. and so. You know, the end of the movie, a husband leaves to go to a meeting and leaves the wife, Minu, home alone. And then you see Dominique is like lurking outside their house. And I'm like, okay, well, Dominique did seem guilty like two scenes ago. So I'm like, is it her? And then the blackmailer character shows up in the house. And I'm like, okay, so that's not Dominique. Is Dominique like dressing up as a man and this is actually her mm. or is this all in her head? And then the husband realizes he forgot something and he's driving back to the house. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, he walks in the house. What does he see? Like I was even thinking he would see his wife on the floor acting <laughs> like someone was on right, top of her, right. but there was no one there. Like uh-huh. it could have been anything. Right. I Just man, this one really had me the whole time. Yeah. I mean, would would I have but, liked it more if it was that? Yeah. A bit hard uh, to say. So, like, most impressed by the visuals of Blood and Black Lace, conversely, most impressed by the story and, like, the suspense of this one, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it definitely, I, I mean, it fell apart for me with the, the big reveal. 
at the mm-hmm. end. I was I was legitimately bummed. I was like, oh, not even yeah. like, and it's not even about the the husband being behind it. It's just you know, like a husband hiring a hitman or whatever. That yes, that's fine. But the way it just doesn't work with the story they were telling. You know, like why would like we already said like why would it ever be that that complicated that complicated. and even down to the fact that it's like. Dominique knew the guy who was the killer without knowing he was the killer because they had met him on holiday like a year before. Like, why did she have to know him? Right. If she wasn't actually a part of it, I guess because they want you to think she's a part of it. Like, now that I think about it, they actually played up the Dominique angle much more than I originally thought because there's that first scene earlier on in the movie where Minu goes to Dominique's house and she's like banging on the door because she's freaked out and Dominique is with some other guy and she makes him sneak out the back. So it's like already feels like she's keeping secrets from Minu. Mm -hmm. And then later in the movie, there's a part where Minu calls her on the phone and it's like Dominique is laying in bed with someone and you never see who the person is in bed with her. And like, there's even a part where as the scene ends, she like leans over and kisses this other person, like right off screen, like her face goes off screen to kiss. And it feels like, oh, maybe she's kissing the blackmailer and that's how she's involved. Mm, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Just, I don't know. Very deft at uh, keeping the viewer guessing this one. Yeah, for sure. More so than the other ones. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, like as far as Jallo films feeling like they're all about the black gloved killer uh, mm-hmm. I would say the least like a Jallo film, but yeah. As I learned throughout this episode of the podcast, uh, there is a broader spectrum of what a Jallo movie is than just mm-hmm. guy in black gloves stabbing women. Right. No, you're right. It's it's bigger than that. Yeah. And with that regard, this this still does feel like it fits. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but man. <laughs> They, I just keep going back to they. They really did have me convinced for a while that uh, it was all in her head because even mm-hmm. like the evidence that she got from the guy from the blackmailer was the, the audio tape, right? And he later claims like, no, that wasn't actually your husband on the tape. I just like faked his voice, but it's like you can't show that to the husband. You can't listen to it again to see if you recognize the voice. Because the second you got the evidence, you threw it in the ocean to protect your husband. <laughs> right. And right. so it's like she threw the tape away. Yeah. Uh, she she tore up the photos that the guy sent her. Mm-hmm. She lost the photo that Dominique had given her. So it's like all the f- material physical evidence no one else has ever laid eyes on except for her. <laughs> Did we ever get why Peter killed this other guy? The the guy in like, like the in the, the, the scuba tank. thing or whatever, yeah. Uh, I mean, if the tape was true, it was an accident. But I don't think that's oh, the that case. It was? it was it was something about um, gosh, because when when Minu admits to him that she had sex with the blackmailer, mm-hmm. and she like basically lays out the whole thing and admits to her husband that for a brief moment she thought he was a murderer. He his response to her is something about, uh, do you really think I would kill someone to get out of debt or get out of a loan or something like that? I think he owed the guy money. Mm, okay. Because then she's like, well, even if he died, like, wouldn't you still have to pay the debt back to someone else? And he was like, yes, but I, 
it would be like postponed or something, or he'd have more time to pay it back. Something along those lines. Mm, okay. Fair enough. And I guess that's why he wanted to kill his wife and get the life insurance because he owed money as well. I, I suppose. Right, but right. Right. But yeah, it yeah, is still complicated. That, <laughs> yeah. I can't help feeling just like that part was just tacked on at the end. Like mm-hmm. it could have just been the husband saving me new could have been plenty exciting, you know, or fulfilling. Yeah. But that honestly, it feels like a staple of the genre just based on these three movies, if nothing oh, else. That big time. It's it can't ever be as simple as you think it is. <laughs> two killers. Yeah, because this two. one technically had two villains as well. Yeah, when you consider yeah, the blackmailer and the husband. Sure. I mean, yeah, he would have killed Minu if he got his got away with it, or got his chance to rather. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, this one visually, uh, I think a little nicer looking than bird with the crystal plumage, just because it was like more opulent lifestyle, like a nice, beautiful yeah. house. And like, you know, the, these characters were a little well off as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, the characters were kind of not living in squalor, but they were, they weren't close. Yeah. It, uh, this movie just, it didn't have like the incredible filmmaking, like cinematography and visuals that blood and black lace had. But mm-hmm. I think it did look better just because it had like nicer sets and things. Than, yeah, uh, it was a little brighter overall. The crystal plumage. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, three enjoyable movies for me. Also. Yeah, same here. Like there was the smallest part of me where I'm like buying all of these Jallo films because they're like fifty percent off during like Black Friday sales and stuff, and then thinking like, I don't even know if I love this genre, and I'm buying all these <laughs> movies, but. Millsy, you got to catch them all. You know they ain't going to stop you. <laughs> I got to admit, I thoroughly enjoyed myself with this entire trio. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, the, the Buy, Borrow, Burn might be a mm. little tougher than uh, than anticipated. but Coming in hot. But before that, yeah, we're going to talk some posters? Please. So, starting off with Blood and Black Lace, mm-hmm. we got... It's weird that the... I mean, I I presume this is like the original poster. I don't I don't know. Again, with with some of these older movies, it's a little tougher to tell. This, yeah, these ones were tough, so we're just going with what we got. I think. But um, yeah, the killer's face with the mask is far more defined in this artwork than yeah. it is in the movie. Right. Then this but, is um, just this almost even feels like the artist had to was given direction to change it. You know, give him more definition because it doesn't look anything like this in the in the movie. Yeah. I mean, in general, kind of gets across the point. It's a bunch of dead, beautiful women laying on the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. With like the the seamstress stuff in the background there. Yeah, if I hadn't the watched mannequin. the movie, I would have thought to myself, there's a wicker man in this? Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> of that like mannequin right. thing in the background. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the face of the killer. Yep. I don't love that face just because... No. It doesn't. It's not reminiscent of the movie. It almost looks like an like an alien face yeah. or something. Yeah. But um, you know, it's a nice old school movie poster yeah. painting. It feels like, yeah, it feels like a nice old painting. It's got that cool lettering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like just to represent the movie, the colors could pop a little more. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. each one of the little skimpy nightgown things that the women is wear are wearing, if each one of those was like a different bright color or something, or even if the red in the background was brighter, but yeah, I would uh, agree with you on that. But all in all, I like it. It's Again, fine. It's yeah, fine. Nice painting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Next up, the bird with the crystal plumage, a little more impressionistic. Very, very much. Like, again, if I hadn't seen the movie, I would assume that the eponymous bird with the crystal plumage was like a a crystal sculpture or like a little statue or something. Right, right. Because like that... Maltese falcon or something. Yeah, that is not an actual bird. <laughs> no, that not seen at all in this movie. And then, is that a... Is that a nipple? <laughs> I believe so. Which is, you don't see a lot on movie posters. Yeah, so the uh, the other part of the image is like a woman having her throat slit. Yeah, and it's pretty graphic overall. Yeah, but it's like a very simple, almost cartoony drawing of the woman, but with a realistic looking knife. Mm-hmm. Milzy. But look, look at the king, Mario Adorf, how much his name is in standing well, yeah. out there. No kidding. Oh it's bigger than most of the other cast members' yeah. names. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know. Not in love with this one. No. Um, I like the lettering on this one, too, for the title. Yeah, I mean, that style of lettering I always love on yeah. these old good, posters. Good color scheme, but the, like you said, the impressionistic bent of it. It's not a great drawing of a person. It's a weird, you, know what, you know what this one kind of reminds me of? Have you ever seen those, like, blog posts online of, like... uh check out these posters for famous movies from like other countries. And it's like, yes, here's a poster for alien from <laughs> like Ghana or something. Right. And it's just like the weirdest shit. That's not yeah. indicative of the movie at all. Uh huh. This almost feels like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if you gave an artist just the name of the movie and said like, Oh, it's a horror movie or it's a slasher. Yeah. It's a slasher movie. This is what it's called. This is what they'd come up with. Uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, so just thematically not crazy about it and the art style. Like, I definitely prefer the more classic painted look of uh, the Blood and Black Lace poster. Yeah. Ditto. And then finally, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. I feel like this is a shot that has been done on many a movie poster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Legs split in the foreground with uh, somebody standing in between them. Yep. Almost feels like a Western poster because of that and the uh, the font. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this is probably my favorite because I like, I like the big uh, title and it's it's painted well. It's got, mm-hmm. I'd say it's the best composition for sure for me. So It's a more uh, realistic style painting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of this one. That uh, Just that font that gets me every time. Yeah. I just love it. I think I like... I think the layout is a little more interesting. Just there's more going on in the blood and black lace, but I definitely prefer this one as a complete piece of art mm. with the framing device of the legs and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. Especially after seeing the movie, like, mm-hmm. you know, because you could go in seeing this and be like, oh, who's that? Who's standing there? But once you see the movie, it's like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll break it down, Millsy. I'll give four crystal feathers to... The forbidden photos of a uh, lady above suspicion. Uh-huh. I will give three crystal feathers to the uh, blood and black lace poster. And I'm going to go ahead and give the old one crystal feather to bird with the crystal oh. plumage. Just not digging that poster. Yeah. I would not, unlike the other two, I would not see that poster and think I want to see that movie. Oh, we're going to take that one out back and put some bird shot in it. <laughs> yes, precisely. Hmm. All right. I can dig it. All right. Uh, the big moment, then. The big moment. By Borrow Burn. Mm. How you feeling? Do you know where you stand? I do. 
So would you like to go first or shall I? I I was a good like 75% coming in. And that pretty much stuck with my initial feelings. Um, I don't know. It's up to you, Millsy. Uh, I'll go. Please. So the one that is the least like what I had in my head that a Jallo was turned out to be my favorite, which is Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. All right. Just because I really, I don't know if you could tell from me talking about the movie earlier, but I was really swept up in the story and the mystery of this one. Mm -hmm. I thought that the strongest lead character of any of them was Minu uh, in this film. Mm -hmm. And just the feeling of uh, her being constantly in danger. Whereas, uh, like, the lead character in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, the guy, you know, there he was getting, like, the phone calls and stuff, but there, and he did get chased for a reason we can't figure out in one scene. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't this constant sense of dread that there was for me in this one. Okay. Uh, so, you know, no black-gloved killer or anything, and honestly... Not a lot of murder in this movie, but I was just the most compelled by the plot. So then it comes down to the other two. And uh, the strongest thing I have to say about Blood and Black Lace is still how it looks. But as beautiful as that movie is visually, I don't think that the visuals can trump the fact that I do believe that uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage is the better film from like a story standpoint and character standpoint. Mm hmm. Blood and Black Lace, it does have a complicated, convoluted, like, story when you finally get the revelation at the end, but it just feels kind of simple. It's just like one by one, five women are killed, and then all of a sudden the the twist happens and they tell you what you've been watching the whole time. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, there's much more of an interesting story to follow with uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. So uh, for me, it's going to be by... The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, Borrow, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and Burn, Blood and Black Lace, though it does not deserve to be fired into the sun. Mm, Fair enough. As we are known to do around here. That is true. Like, quickly and easily, we do that around here. Yeah, willy-nilly, you might say. Yeah, I would say. I concur. All right. My turn. Well, Mills. Mm-hmm. I am going to, and actually this, I don't remember what episode this came up on where for me, like the actual buying or borrowing or burning, like is a factor for me where it really isn't for you. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. That wasn't the last episode. That might, that could have been like two episodes ago. You're talking about um, like you would actually consider buying. Like, yeah. Like the physical, like actually, like, is this a factor for me? Do I want to buy this movie? Well, you know, the reason it? that's not a factor for me because I bought everything. two out of three of these movies without even <laughs> yeah. knowing if I was into them. Because so. you, you buy everything. You're like a movie store. Yeah. My favorite one happens to be the one that I don't currently own. <laughs> <laughs> for now. Yeah. That'll change. Yeah. Which I don't knock. I don't knock that at all, but just this Next one. Arrow video sale, baby. Oh, uh, there you go. This it is a factor for me, and it it applies here. Um, I would buy Blood and Black Lace. Mm. I do. I just want to see that again. <laughs> I don't. I. You're not wrong in like the plot wise. Not that I think it's it's harder to follow, but I still think there is plenty to follow. And I I got more of a I don't know if it's like a visceral feeling when like the killer is there. Plus, I liked the way the killer looked. Mm-hmm. 
and I enjoyed the payoff. As ludicrous as it is for that one bit, um, I did enjoy that revelation at the end. Can I run this up the flagpole and see who salutes real fast? Yes. I would say that (laughs) (laughs) of the three of these movies, the one that is closest to an American-style slasher movie is Blood and Black Lace. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think because I'm not really a fan of slasher movies, Uh that could be subconsciously part of the reason why I wasn't as into that one. Because it is like, you know, your typical... Uh, Halloween or Friday the 13th movie is like, okay, here's a bunch of characters. Just watch them die one by one. Right. And those movies typically don't have like the twist and the mystery of who the killer is, especially when you get into like the fourth, fifth, sixth movie in a franchise. Mm-hmm. But this movie is very much that blood and black lace. It's like, here are uh, just a gaggle of beautiful women. And then they're dying one by one and you don't really know why <laughs> you're just right. watching it happen it's until just, the end. It's just there to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that, you know, probably factored in, uh, however yeah. subconsciously to my decision. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like a big, uh, slasher fan necessarily. So yeah. not comparing I mean, and contrasting. No, I know. You and I differ on it. Just uh, for me, I think that's why. No, I know. But I figure I could at least like, you know, bring up that point for myself. So it's not even so much that, but I think overall, it's like even you said, like if it did, if this move, our feelings on this movie would be a lot different if it didn't look the way it looks, mm-hmm. which is a factor for me. But kind of even like I said last episode, like I would like kind of just love to pause this movie at random times and like do some drawing. Like I just loved how it looked that much. Mm-hmm. And it was like that striking that I could see myself just wanting to do that again. Or this could be like a movie I put on in the background, you know on mute with music playing while I draw, you know, it's yeah. like kind of one of, one of those experiences. Yeah. Like, I feel like we could sit here and do like, uh, all right, top five comic artists. You'd like to see just adapt this yeah, into a comic. Without a doubt. Like without you and I, just before we started recording, we were just talking about Mike Mignola mm-hmm. and like, you know, I, I, I assume you would agree with me that we preferred his style like back in the kind of eighties, nineties timeframe to now where it's a little simpler. But, Correct. man, if I could go back in time to, like, 1988 and have Mike Mignola adapt, like, this Blood and Black mm. Lace into a comic yep, and then just get those old school kind of flat, bright colors on it mm-hmm. that you used to get, like, before computer coloring, where it was just like, okay, this entire spot of blood is all going to be the same bright red. Like, right, exactly. God, how cool exactly. would that look? Exactly. So good. But yeah, that's like the the winning factor for me is just how good this one looked. I mean, story wise, it is what it is, but still, it's still entertaining for me in that regard. So, mm-hmm. and it's got a cool looking villain, so that was enough for me. Um, the other two kind of are are almost like kind of equals to me, where I enjoyed both throughout, but then like was disappointed with the payoffs on. Crystal Plumage and uh, Forbidden Photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say either of them are ruined or either of them are getting like tossed to the sun. They're 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 better than that. But I think in the end, I could see myself wanting to watch Forbidden Photos more. So that would be my borrow. Mm-hmm. My Burns Crystal Plumage. Fair enough. Which is hard, but I just kind of the same thing. 
Forbidden Forest was like different from the other two, which I was I was getting into. Kind of just like the back and forth and the real like guessing game of that one. I just found myself like more enjoying that more than the kind of who done it like every man detective aspect of Crystal Plumage. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as like I didn't love the way it panned out in Forbidden Photos of the husband and like his like overly ridiculous plan to get his wife killed. Um, I probably still like that more than just the crystal plumage with the, the wife being crazy and causing the husband to go crazy. And there's just a lot of, I still have like a lot of unanswered questions about the machinations of that one, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. I do think that crystal plumage peaked kind of early for me because I do think that the best sequence in the whole movie is that. Oh, it's the beginning. First encounter with the yeah. glass doors, which God, I just think that's such a cool scene, like geographically. Mm-hmm. The way everything is laid out and mm-hmm. like a cool, like, I don't know if that's a real, I mean, imagine me, that's a real place. So it's just like perfect kind of like location for that kind of thing. Yeah. You have to imagine that something like that existed. Otherwise, how the hell would you come up with the idea for how right. like right. someone gets trapped between those doors and everything? Yeah. It just, yeah, it looked good. But like you said, I think it peaked early too. Mm-hmm. It did have my boy uh, Mario. Mario in it, but <laughs> yeah. That's a factor, always. Always and forever. But of course. So, um, were we opposites completely? I think we nope. were. Uh, my number two was your number three. My number three was your number one. We weren't We weren't exact opposites. Okay. We didn't match on any numbers. We didn't though. match on anything, but we weren't <laughs> opposites. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I love it. I loved this episode. These were great. This is... Something different that was very enjoyable. Yeah, like I said, going in, I wasn't even sure, despite how many of them I own, that I was going to be that into this subgenre. But uh, mm-hmm. I was continually pleased as I was watching them that they all Man. had something of interest. And I'm legitimately, after seeing how different three different movies in the same subgenre can be, mm-hmm. I'm very excited to watch some more of them because it feels like it, it'll keep you guessing a little more than like slasher movies or even like monster movies it's like you never know what angle they're going to come mm-hmm. one of these from can i can i get you to commit to not buying any more of these until i'm with you so i can just see see how far down the rabbit hole you're gonna go uh well like i said earlier uh when those when those arrow video sales <laughs> pop up online, man, I got to take advantage. So I don't know if I can commit to that. All right. All right. You can come to my house and peruse my shelves watch. anytime you want. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll make something work. <laughs> all right. Uh, time to find out what we're watching next. I'm ready, Millsy. All right. We currently have 219 potential trios. Look at us. Here we go. 219. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, Millsy. Uh-huh. Oh, I already know which one this is. Three. Three? Yes. Holy hell. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I knew going in, I've been waiting. <laughs> oh, how I've been waiting for this day. Oh, I just had just looked at like the top ten before we recorded, and I was like, oh. There's a few of these we really need to watch. I'm so excited right now. When you and I first began to come up with the concept of doing this show 
God, this is amazing. There were four themes that we came up with that like first night when we were talking mm-hmm. about it that you and I like came up with them together. Oh. The first one was our first ever episode, Beware mm-hmm. the Deep. This is one of those four. <laughs> I'm so excited. Was was this number four? It was. Well, yeah, it technically would have been. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we've only had these other... The, our current one, two, and three are our original two, three, and four. Yep. Right. Oh, man. Millsy. So excited. Yes. A hundred percent yes. Oh, God. Uh, strap in, people. Did, we didn't even say the name. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> uh... <laughs> So the theme for next episode is do the herky jerky. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, "What? <laughs> Why like, are they so are excited, excited about, about that?" Oh, it'll it'll all make sense. Yeah. Yes, it will. Ah, oh, yes. That's exciting. Oh, I'm looking forward what, to that. What a perfect ending. I mean, I don't think there's an episode that we could come up with that I'm not excited about, but this is particularly True. exciting. But- I mean, just to see an early number and then just like just like immediately seeing it and knowing which one it was. Oh, yeah. So excited. It's funny, like, you know, with this many, like, what are the chances we're ever going to hit number one? Like, it's logically going to happen eventually, but I'm a little surprised that, like, if, if I was a guest on a show like this and I got to pick what number episode we were going to watch mm-hmm. next, I feel like instinctively I would say number one. <laughs> Not to influence <laughs> anybody else who will be a future uh-huh. guest, but. Right. I just but, feel like that would instinctually be what I would do. But. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a, a thing with like people in general. They they never do that. It's always like they try to think of the most randomness number. I don't know. Possible. Kind of feels like what's happened so far, but mm-hmm. huh? I don't know. What the hell do we'll I know? see. Well, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Mills, I think that's going to do it. I think you're right. This has been Triple Threat Theater. Episode 30. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.